welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. I'm betting that in the last day or week, somebody said this to you, how do you do? Now, they might not have used that formal language. They might have said, what's up? Or how's it going? Or how do you do? It's a greeting. It's a question probably you've been asked recently. Or maybe as you've been uh, maybe re-engaging with people at social events, maybe in fact meeting people uh, you haven't seen before or you haven't seen in a long time, they might have said, hey, what do you do? People ask us, how do you do? Some people say, hey, what do you do? What are you doing for a living? What are you doing with your days? What are you doing at school? But I'm betting you have not recently or maybe ever been asked this question, why do you do? I mean, that'd be weird. You could try it out next time you're at a party or something like that. Someone says, answers, what do you do? They say, well, why do you do? Why do you do? Why do you do what you do? What is your purpose or your reason for doing what you're doing? Now, if we've never been asked or haven't thought about it, or maybe the answers might come quickly just off the top of our head, well, I do it because I need to make money. Well, I do it because this is what I've always done. Why do I do what I do? Well, this is what other people expect me to do. This is what my parents wanted me to do. Or this is what I'm good at. Or this is the only thing I can do. Those might be some of the quick answers to the question, why do I do? The problem with that is in times of crisis or times of difficulty or times of stress, which certainly might describe uh, uh, the last year and a bit for us, we start to find that the answers to the question, why do I do, come up a bit shallow or empty or not strong enough for us. We actually get disoriented and we start to wonder, yeah, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I friends with that person? Why am I married to this person? Why am I studying this? Why am I doing this for a living? Why do I do? And even though it's not a question we ask very often, but realizing as it's coming to the surface in times of stress, in times of pressure, we need a substantial answer to that question. We need something that's not empty, shallow, or thin, or isn't strong enough to handle what we're going through. And actually, that question is why we're in this series, what we're asking, how do I grow? How do I grow? That's actually what we're trying to get at, in a sense, because we're using the metaphor of growth um, from the metaphor of a tree. And a tree, in a sense, as we said, is a tree is something that is connected to a life-giving source and therefore is able to become a life-giving source. We said that's what a tree is. And if you think about it, it doesn't make sense for a tree only to put down roots underground to find water and nutrients. Like a, a tree that was only looking to, to put down roots to say, give me more, give me more water, give me more nutrients. In fact, we wouldn't see anything on the surface at all. It would be completely under the surface, right? Because the purpose of a tree is actually to grow. It was made to grow. And in a sense, so the answer to the question of why do I do, well, we were made to grow. We do in order to grow. It's actually part of our purpose is that we were made to grow. But if I can say it another way, we're not going to be able to grow unless we find a purpose for living. 
that finding purpose, finding mission, finding meaning is one of the keys to actually being able to grow. In our series, we're actually using this question, how do I grow, um, to look at what we call in our church our faith catalyst, the things that we can do, not perfectly, but intentionally, week after week, year after year, that over time will allow us to grow, that allow faith to grow in our lives. And not just so that one part of our lives grows, but when our faith grows, in a sense, all aspects of life grow, mind, body, soul, spirit, relationships. We're answering this question, uh, how do I grow with these faith catalysts? And the one we're looking at today is, we grow by living on mission or living out a mission, living out a purpose. So the question you might have is, okay, well, if I, that answers the question, why do I do? I have a purpose, I have a mission. How do I determine what that is? Do I just make that up? Where do I find that? Do each of us have to find our own? What is the mission that if we are living on, we will be able to grow? Well, as we do every week at our church, we go to the scriptures and primarily the, well, really the story, but often the teachings of Jesus and the words of Jesus to answer that question. And Jesus answered to the question of what is the mission or purpose that if we live on it, uh, we have it in our lives, we'll answer the question, why do I do and allow us to grow? His answer is not a word that is very familiar or intuitive to us at all. And we wouldn't even know it is an answer to that question. It's the word kingdom. Kingdom. This is Jesus' answer to the question of why do I do is the word kingdom. And for a few reasons, it's sort of strange to us. One is it feels like part of an antiquated sort of bygone era of kings and queens and castles and armies and all of that stuff. And more than just antiquated, it's worse. It has connotations of power, of bloodshed, of abuse of power, of politics and thrones and all of the stuff that in many ways our generation is looking back on history and saying that was messed up. And yet this word uh, for Jesus meant everything about purpose and mission. And it is the answer to the question. Now we can take a, uh, an exhale, you know, and relax and say, for Jesus, this word kingdom was not about politics. It was not about armies and militia. It was not even about geography, but it was about something much more meaningful. What did the kingdom mean to Jesus? And why is it an answer to the question we have of how do I grow? Or the answer, why do I do? I want you to listen to a passage of scripture that actually Jesus himself is reading and that the earliest writers of his biography began to write down right at the time of his public ministry. Basically, once he started to do anything that was worthy of writing down. And one of the first things Jesus is recorded as saying in a public way is describing himself as the king and what his kingdom is about. So let's listen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This account takes place in Jesus' hometown, right at the beginning of his, what we'd call his public life or his public ministry. And he's invited to be at the local synagogue in his hometown and uh, as a guest teacher. And therefore he chooses, he gets to choose what he's going to teach on. And it says that he picked a scroll from a prophet, from part of Israel's kind of history, historic writings. And he begins to read from it and then says, this passage is about me. So it is Jesus beginning to explain to the world, because everybody who read it after this, what he was about. And he uses this word anointed at the beginning. He says, this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord has anointed me. And that word anointed was actually often and pretty much always used to describe either kings, people who are established as leaders or kings, or and or people chosen by God. And so Jesus, right at the outset, is identifying himself as a king, as someone chosen by God. He claimed this passage was a prophetic passage about him and what he was going to do. And then he goes on in this passage to explain what his anointed leadership or what his kingship, or maybe importantly, what his kingdom will look like. And he begins to list, he says, this is going to bring good news to the poor. I am going to bring good news to the poor. I am going to bring freedom for the captives. I am going to bring the recovery of sight to the blind. I am going to bring freedom for the oppressed. Jesus begins to describe what his kingdom is going to be like. And right away we realize it is a, not a, so much about what, but about who, or the primary orientation of the kingdom description is about who, the kind of people that he was sent to. He was going to go to the poor, and in the scriptures and in Jesus' language, poor didn't just mean those who didn't have enough food or bread, although we know it did mean that, but also those who were poor or empty on the inside. And Jesus says, I'm going to those people. I'm going to the people who need to be filled, body and soul. I'm going to the people who need to be set free from things that are going on in their mind or their body. I'm going to people who need to actually have uh, eyes to see again, literally recovery of sight, literal recovery of sight and also spiritually to see what is really going on in the world and freedom for those who are oppressed. Right away, we see this is a, a kingdom of who, is primarily about who Jesus was being sent to. It was words and action, and it was holistic, dealing with the mind, the body, and the spirit. And actually, if you read any of the four biographies of Jesus, and certainly Luke's biography, which is where this one is from, we find Jesus going out and doing those very things. There's, there's accounts of him literally feeding thousands of people, like creating food for them in a miraculous way. But there's uh, accounts of him teaching people, feeding their souls and feeding their minds. There's accounts of him setting demon-possessed people free, which is about liberating those who were psychologically enslaved. There's passages about him rescuing people from vocational corruption, people who were caught in greed and abusing others or using power for injustice because of their warped sense of vocation or purpose, and he was rescuing them from that. There's accounts of him actually um, setting, uh, healing people who were emotionally broken and wounded. 
This is the picture of what Jesus' kingdom looks like. And he begins to describe it here right at the beginning of his public life. (laughs) But then you know what's really interesting feature about this kingdom? Everywhere Jesus goes, he's inviting people to live in it. Which right away, we know this wasn't a geography. He wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to have a new capital city. I mean, every king in those days that established a kingdom had a physical geographical space where their throne was set up. It was a physical sort of tangible way that had to do with land and occupying and people. And Jesus is actually saying, no, my kingdom is different. I'm a king. I'm anointed. But my kingdom is about the people I'm being sent to, what I am bringing into their lives. And then he's inviting all these other people. And he begins with a small group of people, his disciples, to say, come, the kingdom is here. Follow me. Live in it. Bruxy Cavey in his book, Reunion, says it like this. He says, this is about a way of living with Jesus, our King, a way of being part of what he's doing in the world, no matter where we live. The kingdom of Jesus, really Jesus' answer to the question, why do I do? is an invitation to live a certain way or to follow the ways of Jesus wherever you live or whatever you do. The kingdom Jesus was bringing was a way of life oriented towards the people he was coming to help and save and heal and minister to. It was not about political power. It was not about militia. It was not about geography. In fact, Dallas Willard puts it like this. He says, the gospel or the gospel of the kingdom is less about getting into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how you live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. That's why Jesus and the New Testament writers called it the good news of the kingdom. The gospel, the kingdom is good news to those who are receiving it. Certainly all of the poor and the blind and the oppressed and the wounded and the hurt, they were blessed. It was good news for them. But Jesus was inviting people to join him in it and say, it is good news for you as you join me in what I am doing. And then maybe the most important thing that Jesus said about the kingdom. He didn't just say to others, hey, come enter it, live in it. He even says the kingdom is in you. And he says the kingdom is here or near or at hand. He wasn't just referring to himself. He wasn't just referring to what he was doing. He said it is in you. (laughs) Which part of the biblical story is that if you and I have been created, made by a God of justice, compassion, love, mercy, sacrificial care, then that kind of life is in us. It is in our DNA in a sense, because we have been made by a God like that, which is to say this, your mission is not something you make up. It is something you were made for. Your mission is not something you make up. Well, I think I'm just going to do this with my life. I think my purpose is fill in the blank. I think I'm going to do this. Why do I do? Well, I'm going to do this. Our purpose, our mission is not something we make up. It is something we were made for. Jesus says the kingdom is in you. This way of life, this way of doing whatever it is that you do for a living or at your school or in your relationships, this way of living wherever you happen to live in whatever neighborhood, whatever uh, culture, whatever country, 
It is in us. It's not something we make up. It is something we were made for. Jesus' invitation is for us to be able to grow or find our life or find the answer to the question, why do I do? In his purpose, in his kingdom, in the who he is sending himself to, who he came to and who he invites us to join him with. It is a way of life. Which, you know, brings us to the question, okay, well, how do, how do I grow then? Well, how will that happen? If I join Jesus in what he's doing, how will that actually help me grow? Well, I want to use uh, kind of what one author uh, has described as uh, kind of two different ways to live in what we do in the world. And if I can use my terminology in this one way, that's kind of a mate if we're making up our mission. Another way, if we're actually realizing we were made for mission. And he says, this one way of interacting with what you do in the world is think about, first of all, that it begins with competence. You know, I figure out what I do, what I'm good at, what I'm naturally gifted at, what I seem to have an aptitude for. And we often discover that by other people saying, oh man, you're good at this, or you're good at that, or you should try out for that team, or you should study this, or you should join our company. Other people notice our competence or encourage our competence or try our parents or ourselves try to facilitate competence. And when that happens, when we feel competent in something or we're able to demonstrate competence, well, then what? Then we get belonging. Hey, you can join the team. Hey, you can be a part of our group. Hey, you can study at this school. Hey, you can join this company. Hey, you can become a part of our apprentice group. It begins with competence leads to belonging and therein is where we're meant to find our security. He says, that's how often we think about what we do or why we do what we do in the world. The problem is it's all based on and begins with competence. And so when we begin to feel incompetent, when we struggle to feel successful, when other people seem to be growing their competence faster than ours or come in and now working with us or working for us or we're working for them and they are more competent than us. Or when we feel like we are relentlessly trying to prove our competence to other people, that begins to undermine our sense of belonging because if we aren't competent, then we won't belong. And once we lose belonging, we lose security. And he says, that is a terrible way to live where we're constantly afraid of losing security and belonging because our competency is threatened. He said, that's one way to live. And that's when you, if you make up your mission, that's what it is. It's based on your competence, your ability to succeed or fail at it. And often in times of crisis or difficulty or doubt or chaos, our competence gets called into question and it begins to undermine our very sense of self because our belonging and our security is threatened. <laughs> but if we live a life defined by Jesus, by his mission, his purpose, which is realize what we were made for, it begins with belonging. It begins with the realization that we belong. We are loved. Jesus, first and foremost, invites us to be in relationship with him. Like we talked about last week, we belong first. And out of that sense of belonging and love, regardless of kind of our competence or not, we receive security from that love, from that belonging. And then Jesus invites us into participation participation with him in what he is already doing in the world. This is where we don't have to make up our purpose and base it on our competence and hope we succeed at it and therefore get belonging and security. No, we are loved, we belong, and based on that, we feel secure. And then we are invited to participate with Jesus in what he's doing. Friends, that's how we begin to grow 
when we realize Jesus invites us to participate with him and find the joy in having a purpose that isn't dependent on how successful we are at it. That no matter what, our belonging and our security cannot be taken away from us. When we realize that, we start to grow in a sense of peace, in a sense of security, in a sense of confidence in the world that isn't based on our performance, on our competence. And so before we talk about how else we grow in this and what it means for us to live on mission in the world, I wanted us to pause and have some time to sing together, to worship together, to reflect on the fact that we are loved, that our, the, the beginning point of answering the question, why do you do, begins with our sense of belonging and security because of the love that God has for us. Oh, yeah. 
beginning of growth as we live on mission begins with God's love for us. But then as we receive that, as we find security and belonging in that, and we join Jesus in his mission, we begin to grow actually by realizing that we also are poor and empty and hungry and broken and oppressed and in need of freedom and healing and restoration. When we join Jesus in his mission, he doesn't look and say, you, you got it together. You're pretty competent. You know, you seem to have, you know, a, a full uh, a pockets of everything. You have enough. You can go give it away. That's not how it works. Jesus invited in the poor and the broken and the empty and the oppressed. And as he set them free, he invited them to do the same for others. And so we grow by realizing our own need for Jesus and his kingdom in our lives our own need to, to, to change, to be healed, to be restored, to be rescued from corrupt ways of thinking about money and ourselves and everything. It's a part, we are a part. We, we participate in, with him in this kingdom and we change as we do. And finally, we are actually uh, learning to live for something and someone bigger than ourselves. We get a sense of peace and satisfaction and joy, not because we're super competent and very capable, but because we find joy and delight in participating in what Jesus is doing, which is what we were made for. Whatever it is that we decide to do for a living or a school or wherever we happen to live. And so what does this look like kind of as we do this? Um, practically speaking, I think it, it bears repetition. It begins with who? It begins with understanding that Jesus is inviting us to participate with him in who he is ministering 
to. Recently, I got a note from someone describing this experience of what it was like just in the spur of the moment to be invited in to participate with Jesus. Here's what they said. After a few years of struggling with sorrow due to multiple factors and wrestling and lamenting with God, I couldn't sense him anymore. Then the pandemic hit. One Saturday after work, as I was driving home, I remembered a homeless man that I'd seen on and off for a long time in my area. In desperation, I asked Jesus that I might find and have an encounter with this guy. So I went to Tim Hortons and bought a sandwich and a bottle of water, and I drove down the street I had seen him on, listening to worship music, praying and crying to Jesus to speak. That's what he was doing as he went. As I approached an intersection, I saw him sitting on the ground, just watching traffic go by. My heart was beating. I went up to him and said, hey, I got a sandwich for you. He thanked me and we talked a bit and I left. Does Jesus speak? Well, as I left, I sensed Jesus saying to me, now that you've found him, look for him every day. So that's what I did. I've known him now for almost one year and I see him two to four times a week. We sit on the ground, we talk, we listen to my playlist and we laugh. Friends, I think what is so beautiful about this is it began with this person's own need for God, own sense of desperation of crying out and feeling actually disconnected from God, even made worse by the pandemic, needing to meet God. They cried out to God and God led them to someone else who needed to meet God. And this person said to me, this is truly a mutual relationship. I am getting as much from them as they are from me in this friendship. This is the beautiful thing about it. This is how the kingdom of Jesus works. He invites us in, we who are empty and broken and blind and in needing of healing and freedom in so many ways. And he sends us to those who in a sense are the same as us, but in a different way. And in joining Jesus in what he's doing. And this was a response to just a, a, a conversation with Jesus. Speak to me, guide me. And Jesus did. And so I want to encourage you as you think about it, because this idea of mission and purpose can seem so big, so gargantuan, so daunting. Oh, it has to be all planned and orchestrated. And how am I going to change my life overnight? It begins with Jesus' invitation to you about the who's in your life. The who. If you think about the various circles of people in your life, your friends, your classmates, your neighbors, your coworkers, your teammates, your family, extended family, people in your home group, people in your alpha group, maybe people in the ladies night ministry that we have, or people in the various sites that you've been a part of ministering to, or maybe the international workers that we are connected in as a part of our church family. It begins with a who, that we all have these circles in our lives. And so if this is really about not making up our own mission, but realizing what we were made for and joining Jesus in what he is doing as he invites us to participate, I want to end this time by just giving us a second to ask Jesus what he's doing. And so I want you to close your eyes for a moment and just picture this. You and Jesus are, are sitting at a table. Maybe it's a table in your kitchen or maybe it's one of those cool kind of like 
uh, raw wood kind of, um, you know, epoxy tables or whatever. Maybe it's a, a coffee table in your favorite coffee shop. Whatever it is, just picture it. And you're sitting there. And Jesus has a smile on his face and he's leaning forward. Like he's excited to show you something. And he rolls out this piece of paper in front of you. It's kind of like a map, but there's nothing on it. And he draws a circle. And he says, hey, this one, this person, these people, this is who I'm sending you to. Now I want you to consider what's the first person, first name, or first group of people that come to mind. As he's drawing that circle, he says, this one, these people. It's the first name, first group that comes to mind. Might be a friend, family member, coworker, neighbor, someone in our church. Just wait and consider. And then imagine yourself just saying back to Jesus, okay. Show me how you're working in that person's life. Show me what you want me to do. You know, let's be honest. There are many undesirable things that have occurred in our lives and in our world over the last several months. Many tragic things, many things that we're frustrated with, many things that we wish hadn't have happened, many things that we wish would stop happening. But perhaps in this time of crisis and chaos and upheaval, one of the most beautiful things that has happened, can happen, is to lead us into a new quest and a new answer for the question, why do I do what I do?